You're listening to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, episode 76, and today we're talking about how you can create a life aligned with your highest values, so stay tuned. Hi, I'm Samantha Riley, and after being in business for 20 years, I took the leap of faith from a traditional bricks and mortar business into the online world and created a business based around my expertise. Now I have a life that gives me the freedom to work wherever I have an internet connection. I'm now obsessed with helping the unheard experts who are brilliant at what they do but feel like the world's best kept secret transform to influential thought leaders, all while creating a business which gives them the freedom to create their life by design. Join me as we explore the strategies that you can implement to create and grow a business based on your expertise. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab. Welcome back to another episode of the Thought Leaders Business Lab. I'm your host, Samantha Riley, back for another Monday episode. And today I am discussing one of my favorite subjects with one of my most favorite people, This was such a cool interview and I was so blessed and grateful to have Dr. John Demartini chat with me on the show about core values. Like if you're going to talk to someone about core values, doing it with Dr. Demartini was the most incredible experience and I can't wait to share this episode with you. We talked a lot about how your core values are governed by your passions and how you can use them to thrive in your business. You know, we talked about exactly what core values are, how they impact your business, either for the better or for the worse. Uh, We talked about how to align your values with what it is your business goals that you're aiming for. We went into the negative impact on your wealth that can happen when you're not in alignment with your values. We talked about some things that I've actually never spoken with anyone else about, which isn't a surprise if you've ever come across Dr. Demartini's work. For those who don't know, he's a world-renowned specialist in human behavior, a researcher, author, and global educator. He's studied over 30,000 books across all the defined academic disciplines and is the founder of the Demartini Institute. He's authored more than 40 books on a huge range of topics uh, around corporate and financial empowerment, self-leadership, relationships, and social transformation. Look, let's just get into today's episode. He's got a lot to share. So without further ado, let's welcome Dr. John Demartini into the Thought Leaders Business Lab. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, Dr. John Demartini. It is such a pleasure to be speaking with you today. Well, thank you for having me. Very excited. Probably, I didn't even share this with you before we came on the call, but I'm very grateful that we have got on this call together so that I can help you to share your message to more places because oh, going back maybe... Seven or eight years ago, I was actually given an audio. I came to one of your events and I got an audio which was all around challenges and benefits and the wisdom of being able to see both sides of a situation. And at that time, I'd just gone through a divorce. I'd been married for 20 years. And that audio, I listened on repeat every single day for about, I would say, three months and completely, completely moved me forward. So thank you for, you know, for what you've done and for allowing us today to get that message out so other people can hear what you do. Well, thank you. You probably know that uh, audio program better than I do. (laughs) 
it's crazy what we do when we need to do something, you know, take responsibility for where we are. So, yeah, I, I probably could recite it back to you, but I don't need to do that today. Look, I'd love to share. A lot of people know where you come from. I know that you started off as a chiropractor. I'd love to know how you made the transition from what you were doing then into becoming an expert and an absolute thought leader in this human behavior and helping people to tap into their potential. Well, I had a dream when I was 17. One night when I met one man who inspired me to want to overcome my learning challenges, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a teacher and I wanted to travel the world. So I wanted to study philosophy, I wanted to study healing, and I wanted to do what this gentleman did for me to try to assist people in maximizing their human awareness potential and live inspired lives. So I started that at 17. I've been speaking 46 plus years. This is going to my 47th year. Congratulations. So when I went into the healing art component of that, I was pre-med by the time I got into pre-professional school. And I just didn't feel that there was an excess of organs and a deficiency of drugs in people. I felt that there was a power within the body to do healing if it was not curtailed. And chiropractic was the choice because it honored that. It disturbed that. It was trying to assist that. So I chose chiropractic and started chiropractic college at age 23. I graduated there 27. All the way through school, even when I was at University of Houston and before that at Wharton, I was teaching and I was doing programs. I sometimes have 150 to 400 people, 150 people every day, sometimes swelling up to 400 people each day at lunch under the trees in the park. And then uh, when I went on to professional school, I taught six or seven days a week every night. I've been teaching and starting to spread the following, you know, when I was in my 20s. When I graduated and went into professional practice, I built my practice. I started in a little 970 square foot office and 18 months later, I had a 5,000 square foot office of five doctors and 12 staff members. Wow. I was using teaching. And by then I started TV. I had my own TV show and I started doing education. And then around 19, when I turned 28, 1983, I got asked to speak on a big conference for thousands of people. And that opened up even more outreach. And I want to help not only health professionals, because I was doing things for dentists, chiropractors, podiatrists, medical doctors, helpers, but, but any industry, because the principles were universal. So I just kept going. And um, I've been in about 150 countries now, and I, I've been blessed. I've taught my signature program in 64 countries. So I just made it a mission when I was 17 to step foot in every country on the face of the earth and share and research that I find and try to help people live extraordinary lives and try to exemplify it in my own life. Absolutely. And you do. all these years. Yeah, so amazing. So amazing. Now, you talk a lot about core values, and this is something that I believe that I didn't tap into early enough. And I ended up in a business or I started off in a business that I didn't love as much as now what I do, which I have started now with understanding what my core values are. What I'd love to hear from you is why is it so important? Because I haven't been able to articulate this to people. Why is it so important that we have to tap into our core values to be able to create a life that is really fulfilling for us? Well, every human being, regardless of gender, age, or culture, has a set of priorities, a set of values, things that are most important to least important in their life. Just like a young boy who loves video games, he loves that, he spontaneously does that, but he may not want to do his homework, his chores, that's low on his values. Well, everybody has something that's highest on their values. 
And whatever is highest on your values, you're spontaneously inspired from within to do. And whenever you set goals that are congruent and aligned with what's highest on your values, the blood glucose and oxygen goes into the forebrain, into the executive center, the medial prefrontal cortex, and activates inspired vision, strategic planning, executing plans, and self-governant behaviors. And we excel in that area. We expand our space and time horizon in that area. We, we tend to walk our talk. We tend to wake up self-worth. We tend to give ourselves permission to do something more. We tend to build momentum. And people who do that achieve and lead and exemplify what's possible for human beings. So knowing what's truly you're committed to, what you're really called to do, the metier, the calling, the highest value, the telos, the inspiration that is most meaningful to your life is one of the secrets of living a highly achieving life. I've been observing people for four and a half decades, and uh, the people that do excel are higher in congruencies. I, I was just watching a video on five geniuses just before we got on here, from musical genius to mathematical geniuses to different things. One thing common to them, they were doing what is most inspiring to them, and they excelled at it and kept doing it. Nobody stopped them and tried to force them to be somebody they're not called to be. Whether they're great mathematicians or great leaders or whatever it is, they perpetuated and excelled at something that they fell in love with that they did. That's the highest value. So if you want to excel in business, if you don't, people say, you know, I want to have financial independence, but if they don't have a wealth building high on their value, it's not going to happen. If they want to be, they say, want to be a serial entrepreneur. If they don't have serving people and business entrepreneurship high on their values, unless we put it up there now that we can change the values and we can stack up new associations and shift content the values, but anytime you're setting goals that are not congruent with your highest values, you're going to self-depreciate, you're going to live in anxieties, you're going to have questions, you're not going to, you're going to need external motivation and incentives and something to push you, keep calling you. Totally. We're inspiring. I've been speaking 46 and a half years. I can tell you, I have not needed anybody to inspire me or remind me or motivate me or incentivize me to go and speak and research. I'm doing it right now. I'm, I'm watching videos and I'm reading and I'm, I'm typing and I'm every minute I have, I do that spontaneously. Finding out what you can't wait to get up in the morning and do that inspires you, that's spontaneous, that you love doing, that your identity revolves around, and that's where you'll excel. And if you find the niche that fulfills people's values with that, you found an entrepreneurial path that's building a momentum that's unstoppable. Totally. Now, you did mention that you can change those values. So if someone has not got business or wealth creation in their top values, how do we change that? Because I was of the belief that, or I thought that our values were they're within us from when we're children and, and they stay with us. So how do we change that? And I guess the second part to that question is, how do we know that we're changing in a way that is right for us and not a story that we're telling ourselves? I, I had a woman who was in South Africa that was a mother with four children. Mm-hmm. And she drove, packed up her car with the kids, drove over to a mall and on the way there, got sideswiped by a truck and all four children were killed. Oh. So here she's a mother one minute and no longer a mother the next. And her values shifted. So you can have cataclysmic events shift your value. I was a surfer, a long-haired hippie surfer at 17. I nearly died. And my quest for overcoming my learning problems and to become a teacher initiated. So you can have cataclysmic events do it, or you can have micro alterations, gradual hypothesis, change values. But what it is, is stacking up supportive or challenging value associations with the brain that make you go in one direction or the other. If I give you a big enough reason for doing something, you'll do 
it. If enough reasons for doing something, it, that whatever that is goes up on the value list. And once it's higher than the alternatives, you take it on as a higher priority. So I, I tell people, if you want to build wealth, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, there are six things that I found common to the extremely wealthy individuals. And number one is that they have a desire to build a business that serves vast numbers of people, never greater numbers of people. They have a desire to manage the business effectively and efficiently to maximize its profits. They have a desire to save an ever-progressive portion of those profits to make sure it's building up assets that go up in value. They have a, the next is a desire to, to purchase assets with leverage so they can leverage the momentum of building their wealth. They have a, a desire to accumulate it and not just spend it on trivial things that depreciate value. And they find a cause for it that allows them to drive them beyond their own needs to go do something that leaves a legacy that makes a difference in the world. Bill Gates built a big, built a business, built it with Paul Allen, made it efficient, made profits, saved a portion of it, kept 30% of his income in cash, had cash reserves, just like Buffett and Apple does. And then they end up investing and then they end up building accumulation. And then they created the Bill Gates and Melinda Gates Foundation. This is common to them. So if you stack up enough reasons for doing those six things in your head, hundreds of reasons, you'll start living a different life. And the way you know you've actually changed it is your behavior changes, your decisions change. So what I'm hearing is that we can change it when it's not just our thoughts, but the situations that we're in, the people that we're surrounding ourselves, the the things that we're taking in, the vid- exactly what you were saying before, the videos, the education, and bringing that all together to tap into what's already within us so that it rises in importance. Well, every decision you make is based on what you believe will give you the greatest advantage over disadvantage, reward over risk. If you don't stack up enough advantages and rewards over the risks and the disadvantages, your brain is going to avoid it. And so you have to stack up enough of them. So it's not just who you hang out with, that's a factor, uh-huh. but also cognitively making a shift. If you set a goal that aligns with your highest value or you shift your values to match the goal you have, as long as they're congruent, you can have fulfillment. But as long as they're incongruent, you're going to have self-depreciation, anxiety, fear, doubts and and frustrations and feeling like you keep sabotaging. You don't really sabotage. You just don't know what your highest value is and keep expecting it to be something it's not. Ah, that is so cool. So as business owners, it's really important for us to know our values. We, I also know, or we know that you can't build a business without having people around us, without having a team, staff, however we want to call it. So how important is it to build a team that have got their clear, shared, values individually as opposed to the values of the company? Well, I've never seen the values of a company. I've seen values of human beings. Yep. Okay. It's the human beings in the company. I've always been uh, puzzled by why people use the word the company values. The individuals in a company have values and no two people have the same exact set. Yeah. And the fantasy is that we're all going to be on the same value system. That's not going to happen. There's countercultures in in values and we can't have everybody with the same values because you need different jobs and each set of values matches certain jobs. Because if a person goes to work They don't go to work for the sake of a company. They go to work to fulfill what they value most. And if they can't see how the job duties and responsibilities and action steps that they have to take every day is going to help them fulfill their values, they're going to be disengaged. They're not going to be inspired. They're going to want to escape. They're going to want to breaks. They're going to want to get coffee and tea and and distractions because they're not inspired and not engaged. And that's going to cost a company. You do not want to hire somebody that can't see how that job description is going to help them fulfill what's most important to them. Otherwise, you're just going to be micromanaging and pushing people uphill all day long. Yeah. 
that leads to autocracies and tyrancies and dictatorial type of approaches. When you give people uh, the jobs that match what they actually love doing, you're freed. I, I research, write, travel, teach today. I don't do anything else. I delegated stuff since my 30s. I gave that stuff up a long time ago. I only do what I love doing. I only do what's the highest priority and I delegate it. And I find people who absolutely love doing what I need delegated to sit there and do things that aren't inspiring to me and weigh myself down. Every day you do something high on your values, you grow in self-worth. Every time you do, you grow in net worth too. Mm-hmm. You, also, you actually want to go to work. And when people can't wait to go to work, people can't wait to get that service. So engaging people is based on the highest values. It's very crucial. I've seen company, I, I worked with one company, went up $1.47 billion in one year wow. because of implementation and engagement processes of the value determination and a linking process that we introduced. That is awesome. So it's super important to not just know their values, but also where it is that they're heading, what it is that they want as, you know, as their outcome of working at the company. Well, the thing is, is their values dictate their destiny. Uh-huh. So tell them what your highest values, that's what they're wanting. They're wanting yeah. to fulfill that. So if you have a person whose highest value is, I want to raise a beautiful family, and you give them a job where they're able to be home, be with their family and everything else, they'll be great. Yeah. You make, all of a sudden, you want them there until 7 or 8 o'clock at night, and they have to do this, and they have to work on the weekends. You just went against their value system. You either have to link those, those job duties to how it's going to help the children and their, their values, or you got to hire people selectively accordingly. And you got two ways of doing it. We train people on both of those to yeah. help them either inspire teams by values or hire people by value. But you're not going to get everybody to fit into it. And and the all the decisions that come are going to be based on the values of the leader. So yeah. all, that, that, that leader's values is going to direct it. I, I had a company hire me um, to try to, in the selection of a new CEO, because the CEO they had was was geared to, to a certain type of behavior that was actually undermining the company. We finally got a new CEO and we, we interviewed them and we made sure that the values were where they wanted to take the company. Yep. And it was amazing. Over the next three years, that company just flourished because that person was spontaneously inspired and committed to what they value most mm. with the company. So it's so important because as the owners of the business, we're the one that's driving the vehicle. So if we're not inspired, we can't actually pass that on to our team. We can't expect people around us to do the things that's our responsibility. Alan McKinsey in the book, The Time Trap, showed very clearly that as you go up the ladder in a social construct of a company, the higher you go up in it, the higher the probability of leadership roles, planning, visionary activities, delegating. Down below, they're doing. Up above, they're envisioning and then planning for planning, you know, it's like a, they're in foresight and they're seeing ahead and they're looking where they want to go. And then they break it down into strategic actions and strategies and then they delegate back. They, if they're not in their executive center where they have inspired vision, strategic planning, executing plans and self-governance, they're not an executive. Can't get people down below to take on those roles if they can't live those roles themselves. Love it. You said that you can change your values. If we took one step back, how are our values affecting our relationship with money? You did cover this off slightly, but I'd like to delve a little bit deeper into this because obviously as business owners, we're not making money. It's a hobby, right? So how do we tie these together and make it work in our favor? Well, if you're not doing what you love every day and getting handsomely paid to do it, your vocation, vacation or split, you're psychotically schizophrenic. And, <laughs> and, you know, if you, you, you're not going to, you're going to get up, you're going to have a Monday morning blues, a Wednesday hump days, a thank God it's Fridays and a week friggin' ends. Yeah. And then you, 
end up going to take a break and get a, an escape on a vacation and get away on, on, a, on retirement. Uh-huh. That's a symptom. Motivation, if you need outside motivation, it's a symptom, never a solution for business people. And so I don't want to have people not inspired by what they do. So you got to ask yourself, what is it you absolutely love to do that you spontaneously love doing that nobody has to remind you to do that is actually a skill and a service that makes a difference in people's lives that fill a need so you can get handsomely and beautifully paid to do that. And what? People who do that, they are they have they don't age as much, they're they're inspired, they have more energy, they love what they do and they 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 lead. What about the people that do love what they do? And I, I know these people absolutely love what they do, very excited to get out of bed in the morning, very into service, want to serve their people, but are afraid to actually ask for the money because those people do exist. Well, the people that have difficulty asking what the service is are the people that are devaluing their service and assuming that there's more drawbacks and benefits to the person or they wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. And they also usually have histories of shame and guilt that they're accumulating in the past. Shame and guilt make it difficult to receive and difficult to ask for what you want. I, I have people that very commonly are, are stuck in that. But you would sit down and write down 100 benefits to the clients of the service you're providing and charging for it and mm-hmm. 100 drawbacks to the client of not charging. You're holding the client back from accountability. You're holding them down from evaluating it. You're keeping a lot of people from receiving your the service that you have. You're holding yourself back and you're going to disincentivize yourself eventually and burn yourself frustrated, burn yourself out if you don't get paid. And you're going to end up having to go get a job doing something you don't love doing. Ah. And that's insanity. It is. What's insane is to continue to go through life and miss out on the magnificence of what you're called to do. So I'm a firm believer in asking yourself, what is it I would absolutely love to do? And how do I get handsomely paid to do it? And how do I serve vast numbers of people with it? Because mm. it's basically quite the question, Jeff. You ask those questions, you will find an answer. I'm, I'm paid to help people get that clear. And once yeah. they get that clear and package that, they take off as entrepreneurs. But they have to meet somebody's needs and they have to meet their own. There's a thing called equity theory. If they're cocky and they think they know what's best for the world and they don't match what really matches the world, they don't get anywhere. And a mm-hmm. lot of entrepreneurs have fantasies that way. And if they sacrifice and go, I just want to sacrifice for the world and I don't want anything for myself, that you don't get anywhere either. You sacrifice your profit margins. You have to have equity where you care about yourself, you care about your clients, it's sincere, and you go out and give them a win-win relationship. And an equity and an equanimity within yourself and equity between you and them. That's equity theory at its maximum. And that's what's sustainable. It's the only thing that's sustainable. So sounds like what you're saying, and this is the duality of everything, is sitting down and actually getting it out of your head, getting onto paper. What is it that I actually help people with and understanding the outcome that we're helping people achieve and understanding what we're taking away from them by not charging and by not being able to have a business that's financially sustainable. Well, if, if you can't see how what you're doing serves people and you can't charge for it, you're not going to stay in business. No. <laughs> I mean, you break. You know, totally. I, I got to share a story. When I was nine, I went to my dad and I said, dad, I want to, I want to buy a baseball and a glove for baseball. And he said, fantastic. Uh, he said, so I want to do something that can earn some money. He said, well, if you mow the yard, yes, sir. Have you edged the sidewalk? Yes, sir. If you sweat the sidewalk in the garage? Yes, sir. Have you done the tighten up on the shale? Have you cleaned the, your room? Have you gone out and done all the hedges? I mean, just, he just went through the things. You clean the gutters. I went, he went through a checklist of all the things I was accountable for. I said, I'm done them all, Dad. He said, well, I don't have anything else that needs to be done. If you want to earn money, you're going to have to go to the neighbors and find something that they need done. So I'm nine years old, and I go down a couple doors down to the Evans house, and I saw that their house and their yard was kind of unruly, and I knew how to mow and edge and stuff. 
I said, I'd like to know if you'd like me to mow your yard and edge your yard and clip your, your hedges. And they said, well, yes, it would, but how much? And I didn't even know what to think. I just pulled a number out of there and they said, well, that sounds fair. I really undercharged for it. Uh-huh. And I, I just didn't know what to say. I wasn't prepared. They said, great. And I did it and I got stung by bees. I had burning things. I had blisters on my hand, but I, I made some money and I bought me my glove and my bat and, and a ball. When I saw my dad, he says, well, I see you got a ball. What'd you do? And I said, I went and worked. And I did. He said, what did you do? And I said, I did all the yard in the couple yards down the street. He said, what equipment did you use? I said, well, the yard, the equipment in the garage. He said, well, somebody got to charge you for that. That's a depreciation schedule on that equipment. <laughs> and he calculated it out and I had to owe him $7.50. Oh, wow. I said, well, I, I just spent all my money. I don't have the money. He said, well, that'll teach you to make sure you manage your money. Someday you'll have taxes and you got to pay your all your bills. So I had to pay him back 750. I had to go around more yards to do it. And I had to pay him then. And I was shrinking on my profits. I was a little discouraged. And then I found this kid walking down the street and getting on his bicycle and riding next to me. And I said, Hey, would you like to make some money? I'll pay you 50 cents if you push the mower and 25 cents if you, if you do the edging and raking and stuff. And any guy said, yeah. So I ended up hiring three groups of three young boys and I got my parents' equipment and the two neighbors' equipment. And we went to town and I was starting to sell the deals and they were doing the work and I was overseeing it, make sure it was done. And I netted $45 after everybody's paid off. My dad was paid off in a day. Wow. About 800 bucks today. And uh, that was in 63, 1963. So my dad said, well, now, son, you got to learn to save some of it. So he bought me a, a coin collection set and a little piggy bank. And I still have that piggy bank with the original pennies from 1963 still in my office as a reminder wow. to think long term. And then he said, well, now I want to teach you what the next stage of freedom. He says, I'm going to make you pay me $7.50 a week to live here for food, uh, rent, and clothing. But that buys you freedom to go anywhere you want on your new bicycle that you bought in any direction you go, as long as you're home by nine o'clock at night. So my dad was trying to make me an entrepreneur and trying to teach me accountabilities at a young age. And, and many people are wanting the easy path instead of the path that entrepreneurship that actually means you serve people, you work diligently and smart and intelligently, and you do it more effectively and efficiently than somebody else and you put your heart into it, you make sure that they give them more than they expect, and you're on your way. You gotta care about humanity if you don't, and otherwise you're gonna be poor in life. Mm. People are poor don't care about humanity. If they did, they'd find needs for humanity and they go serve those needs. What an amazing gift your father gave you. I think that is just so, so cool. And something that I think a lot of parents and especially entrepreneurial parents do hand on these these gifts. I'm going to call them a gift. They're a gift to our children to understand that that's what it's like. So that's so cool. I'd love to know, you have, you have had such a long career, such an amazing career. What have you sacrificed to be where you are today? You know, I don't, I don't register sacrifice. I, I, you know, I do what I love. You don't think I'm missing out because I don't feel like I'm, I've just made choices in my life. Other people with other sets of values, look at me with their values and imagine me doing that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In my mind, I don't think that way. I don't, I don't think I've, I've sacrificed anything. I'm doing what I love and I feel fulfilled in doing that. But people, you know, people come up to me and say, well, Dr. Martin, what do you do to chill out? You know, you know, I've already done 100 and I think today will be 118 speeches this year. And, uh, and, and they say, well, what do you do to chill out? I said, chill out from what? Well, I would imagine doing that would be a lot of work. I said to you with your values, you would think of that way. And therefore you would think, oh, what do you do to chill out? Because you're not inspired by what you do and you need to chill out. And you're projecting onto me and imagine that's how my life is. So I don't think of it that way. I don't think I sacrificed anything. I feel that I just made choices based on my priorities 
and I've delegated the things away and I'm doing what I love every day, which is research, write, travel, teach. Other people think differently. And I've learned to link all areas of my life to it. So when I'm doing my presentation, that's partly my social life and I'm inspired to meet all these new people. It's my business, it's my income, my economics, it's, it's uh, my social, it's my spiritual quest because I'm inspired. It's my intellectual pursuit because I get to study and read. It's the people that's wherever I've, when I've, I, my wife passed away a number of years ago, but when she was alive, all the females that I've had in my life have all come from my programs. <laughs> I, I, I get everything. You're attracting that, your values. <laughs> I, I get what I want. I, you, when you're being authentic and you're doing what you love, it works. And yeah. I know people that are trying to be somebody they're not to get a relationship, for instance, then to have to be back and being themselves. It's crazy. Yeah. Doing what you love and loving what you do really works. And people mm. don't get that. But, but I, I feel that I'm getting all my areas of life filled by doing what I love. That's why I do it. It's probably mm. why I do it as much as I do. I get that. I actually do get that. <laughs> totally. Now, you talked about legacy just a little while ago. Looking forward to the end of your life, what is the legacy that you've left in the world? Well, you've already got me dead now. <laughs> <laughs> I've already left it. Wait, um, I am really a nice person, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I believe anyway that I've impacted enough people uh, from the, the, the responses I've gotten by thousands and thousands of people, millions of people really, mm-hmm. um, that, that there's been some impact in people's lives. So that's part people remember that you've made a difference in their life. And that's the one that brings a tear of gratitude each day. Then there's also literature. And I've, I've got many, many books and, and manuscripts and things that I've left that'll be you know, a piece of work. I've also got audios and videos, all the things that we go out and put out there, those all stand for periods of time. And I also have uh, my children. My children are definitely a legacy. My daughters, both my daughters are with me in Toronto and I mean, in, in New York. I just left New York yesterday. So they were with me yesterday. You know, they're with me and they're helping me. And my son is also doing some things. We're all, we're, it's sort of like a family involvement. And then I, I've also got a Demartini prize. I, I wanted to do like Sir John Templeton did when he put together a prize, the Templeton prize, uh, to beat the Nobel prize in the contribution on an annual basis for Nobel prize winners. I wanted to create my own prize. So I'm just about there. Uh, I've got enough money stored for that prize where if I was to stop, you know, now, I, I think I could compete with the Nobel prize for the amount every year. So I wanted to do that and contribute that and invest in the most inspiring people that made the biggest difference on the planet. So there's lots of different things. There's also, I was blessed. I spoke at the Milk Abbey in 2009 uh, with very, very amazing people from the couple of Nobel Prize winners and Muhammad Yunus, uh, Dalai Lama, many big people. And they took our writings and our quotations from some of our books and the Demartini method that I developed on conflict resolution, because I was speaking on conflict resolution with the Mel Cavi there, and they calligraphied it into scroll paper and put it in the stainless steel vacuum sealed uh, cylinders and went into the infinity of divinity library shelf for the Mel Cavi to be stored for a thousand years. So I, I know that that is at least there for a thousand years. So I know that material will be open someday in the future. So those are, there's many things that I want to do, but I want to create a legacy in my children. I want to create a legacy in the information. I want to create a legacy in the company. I want to create a legacy economically. I want to do it all the way around the wheel. Uh, And with knowledge and original ideas that serve people. So my method. So I try to make a goal to try to do something that would leave some sort of immortality in each of the seven areas of life. Love that. No, I know that you have just arrived in Sydney today. 
and that you've got all sorts of crazy and amazing things happening. For the people that are listening and they're in Australia and they want to connect with you and see what, what events are coming up, where can they go to see those? Well, the, the easiest thing to do is simply go to my website, drdmartini.com, D-R-D-E-M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com. And on there, if you look under events, it tells you where I'm doing, at least the public ones. We have private ones that are on, on there. But public events, evening talks I'm doing, the breakthrough experience I'm doing here and in Melbourne, and some evening talks I'm doing on wealth and entrepreneurship coming up, a little tour in four cities, and also podcasts. All the things we're doing, if you look at events, that's probably the best place to go and get an idea of what's going on with what I'm doing. Because I keep moving around. I mean, I'm a full-time traveler, as you probably know. Absolutely. And, and I think I've been in 16 countries over already this year, so I'm on the way to try to get my 60. I love it. But I'm just, uh, I just move around and I, I, I love it and I, I love doing that. And they can go on there to find out what I'm doing. Or they can go and find out all the, the media interviews and radio and television, newspapers, magazines, movies, all kind of stuff we've done. Yeah, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of cool stuff. Dr. John D. Martini, it's been such a pleasure to speak with you today. I'm so blessed and grateful that you've given us some time here. What is the one thing, and you're only allowed to choose one, even though I know you don't like rules, one thing that you can leave us with today? Well, you want to give yourself permission to do something extraordinary on planet Earth. And one great thing to do is to stop, be honest, reflect with introspection and make a list of everything you actually do in a day, everything. Break it up into personal and professional. And then right next to it, after you made that long exhaustive list, these are different actions, specific actions you do. Next to it, ask, what does it produce per hour? Literally look at that. Is it producing? Is it helping serve and producing an income? What does it produce an hour? Then right next to it, how much meaning does it have in another column? And the next column, how much would it cost to replace somebody to delegate that to? And the last column is, is how much time is spent. And once you get all that data together, you can look very clearly at what is really priority and what really is meaningful and what is really going to produce. And instead of majoring in minors and minoring in majors, you can get on to doing what's really gets the job done, builds momentum, makes you fulfilled, produces the most income so you can afford to delegate to lower priority things and get on with the things that inspire you. Mm-hmm. That exercise is a great thing to, to think about and mull over as we close up this little session because it makes a difference. It made a difference in my life at age 28 and it freed me up from ever having to do anything because I delegated it all. Yeah, love it. Thank you so much for all of the value that you shared today and for giving us your time. Really appreciate it. No, thank you. Thank you. Do you want to grow and scale your business so you can make an even bigger impact? One of the reasons I've been able to achieve the success I have over the years can be attributed to one simple factor, surrounding myself with like-minded people, people who think big like me, who have a desire for growth, and who understand the challenges we face when growing and scaling a business. That's why I've created a free community, especially for thought leaders and experts just like you, and I'd love you to join us. Just request access to my free Facebook group at Thought Leaders Inner Circle. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love you to share this on your favorite social account. Just head to samanthariley.global forward slash podcast, click on your favorite episode and you'll see the buttons right there to share the love. And as this show is new, I would love, love, love you to leave a five-star rating and a review on iTunes. See you next time in the Thought Leaders Business Lab. Business Lab.